Oh, good morning. It's great to see all of you here. I guess I made the cut from last weekend, so I'm back. <laughs> we'll give it a whirl. Uh, I want to keep moving into uh, some types of things that I've been thinking about and that I've been rolling through and, and working on inside of my life. And so to start out this morning, I want us to start with a, a simple little exercise that you all will be a part of. It's very easy. When I say go, I want you to look to your neighbor, whoever that may be, and say, hello, my name is, insert your name. Got it? Very simple. Ready, set, go. Ah, very good. You all have beautiful names. Beautiful names. Now, I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, but I'd like to make an observation about what just happened. Did anybody in here forget your name? No. And ironically, you didn't forget your name because you spent your whole life being you. You've always been you, you are you, and you will always be you. And not only do you know who you are and know what your name is, but you know what you like. You know what you don't like. You know what your favorite color is. You know what your favorite food is. You know where you went to work. You know your family. You know your hobbies. You know those funny little things that make you, you. And you also know those funny little things that make other people you that irritate you. Right? You know all of these things about who you are because you have always been you. But I think there's a question that a lot of us ask. What am I supposed to be doing with me? You see, we know all of these things inside of us, but then that question comes, what am I supposed to be doing in my life? And I, I get to hang out with teenagers all the time, and I hear these questions coming at me all the time. They might not even know that they're asking it, but they are. They come in questions maybe like this one. Caleb, I'm trying to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to be doing in relationship to going to school or how I interact with my parents or my teachers or my friends or my peers. I sit down with that junior or senior and they say, well, I am thinking about school. And so how do I decide and figure out where I go to school? Do I even go to college? And then once I figure that out, what do I major in? Do I do a single major? Do I do a double major? What classes do I take? Do I take 16 credits, 17 credits? Do I live in the dorms? Who do I figure out as my roommate? You see what they're driving at, and all of those questions are running into the question that I think a lot of us are asking and thinking about is this. What is my mission? What is my purpose? What was I created for? You see, and then inside of church culture, we bring that all back and we say, well, we were created to worship. And that's true. We are. And it's a great and it's a glorious thing. But what does that look like for your life? Is worship for you the same as it is for me? And how does that relate to your family members and to your job and to what it is that you're thinking about? See, because if we just leave it as our life is about worship, but we don't put a mission to what that is for us, We never move anywhere. And so that's what I want us to talk about today, is what is it that you're supposed to be driving at and driving towards? And how do you figure out what that is? And how does that change you? And how do people see that inside of you? That's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. So as we do that, would you take some time to pray with me? And then uh, we'll dive in. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. And again, I am humbled to be here at this opportunity to serve and to share what you've been doing inside of me. And so, God, would you come and would you be with us right now and would you invite us into relationship with you and would you challenge us to really sit down and think about what our mission is, whether we've just experienced following you or if we've been following you for years and years and years. God, would you challenge us and send us out as changed people? It's in your name we pray. Amen.
So if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this passage in Acts 15. And so if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open back up to Acts 15. And last week we talked and we looked about the life of Paul and Barnabas a little bit. And we talked about what is it that they wanted to reflect to the culture and to the community. And so I want us to look at this passage. We're going to start about halfway through as we finish up. And we're going to start halfway through verse 40. In Acts 15, this is what it says. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. And so we see that that's what happens after they decided to split up. But when we looked at the first part of this passage, it says that they wanted to go see the brothers, and we talked about that last week. What does this term brothers mean? And we talked about how it meant people of similar faith, people who knew God and who knew Jesus, and that's where they wanted to go. We talked about how it was gender-inclusive, that not only were they going to be talking to the men, but to the women as well. We talked about how it meant this term neighbor that meant anything outside of the nation of Israel, not just the person who lives next to you, and that how it meant countrymen, people who were not ethnically Jewish. That was their goal. That was their mission. That is what they wanted to do. And so then I began thinking a little bit Well, how is it that their mission is so defined? And how is it that they know precisely that this is where they want to go and they go to these specific people and these specific cities? And I started thinking about us and we ask those questions all the time. Where are we going? What am I doing? What am I thinking about? How do I define my mission? What does that look like for my life? And then maybe we get all of these things inside of us that help guide that. Right? We have, well, am I single or am I married? That's going to have a big part to do with how your life works. Are you going to school? What does your job look like? What does your family situation look like? What are your interests? What are your hobbies? And we have all of these inputs coming in and in and in, and it can seem like it just overcomes us. And we have all of these things, things that we're thinking about, and we say, well, how do I even define my mission when there's all of this stuff happening to me? That's a great question. And so, as I've been thinking about this, I decided to do a little experiment with this. And as I was encountering people, whether they follow Jesus or not, I started asking them this question. And I said, hey, do you know what your mission is? And I asked it to all kinds of people. And I bet that nine out of ten of those people did not answer the question. And they just stood there because they had no idea what it was that they were supposed to be doing. And I think a lot of that is is because we don't take time to define what it is that we want to go at. And we have all of these inputs coming in. And when that happens to us, we find a nice seat and we sit down and we watch all of these things go right on by us. And maybe we look, we look at other people in our world and there's part of us that wants that. There's part of us that wants to know what it is that we're here for and that we're created for and what our specific mission inside of worshiping God looks like. But we have all of these things that just keep getting put inside of us that we don't know what to do with. And so we sit down. And then this is what I've noticed. When I look at people who have been sitting down, the longer they're sitting, the harder it is for them to stand back up. Because they're so comfortable with where they are that they know that it will take them to surrender everything that they have to get off of their stool. And so that takes us to our big idea, and it says this. When we choose to surrender all that we have to serve God's mission, we in turn receive more than we could have achieved on our own. 
That's what I want us to, to think about tonight. And so the more that I've been thinking about this mission then, I started thinking about, well, what about the disciples? These guys have a very cool mission in my perspective, in my point of view. They're going out, they're following Jesus, they're with him all the time, seeing miracles and just amazing things. There's part of me that is like, man, I want to be there. I want to be doing that. I want to be involved inside of that. How did they get to that point? How did just young students become to even follow a rabbi in the day of Jesus? How did they get to that point? And so I began to study and I began to think about what I knew of the Bible and ask a lot of questions to a lot of people. And I began to find out that if you wanted to follow a rabbi, that if you eventually wanted to grow up and you wanted to be a disciple in the day of Jesus, it literally started the day that you were born. Because by the time that you were five years old, you needed to have the entire first five books of the Old Testament memorized, the Torah. That's a little crazy, in my opinion. Anybody here have the first five books of the Bible memorized? No. (laughs) But if they wanted to be a follower of a rabbi, if they wanted to be a disciple, they would have had to have it done by five years old. And then the religious teachers... And all the leaders, they would look at that group who had it memorized and they would pick the best of the best and they would say, okay, you got a shot at this. And so we're going to put you onto the next stage of training and we're going to essentially kick the other ones out. We'll talk about what happens with those ones in a couple minutes. But then by the age of 10, if you still wanted a shot at following a rabbi, you would have to have the entire Old Testament memorized, Genesis through Micah. That's a little crazy. Try that, why don't you? Again, the religious leaders and teachers would come and they would look at all these students and they would pick the best of the best from that group. And then between the ages of 10 and 12, these students would be invited in to be part of worship inside of the temple, to listen to some of the teachers on on what it is that they're talking about and what it is that they're going into and thinking about. And then between the ages of 12 and 14, rabbis would look at all of these students that they've brought up through the ranks that they've said are the best of the best of the best. And then they would hand select the ones that they thought could make it in the world. And they would say, hey, would you come follow me as a protege? And would you see how my life works? And then that kid, that student would dedicate his life to being like his rabbi. That's a discipleship process. And it's a crazy discipleship process because when we look at the end of that, how many students are following these rabbis? Not very many. And then for all of the other ones who didn't make it, they got a default job. Their default job was whatever their parent did. right? So if your father was a fisherman, you became a fisherman. If your father was a carpenter, you became a carpenter. If he sold goods in the market, you sold goods in the market. But then we have Jesus, who doesn't ever do anything the same as anybody else. Never. And so I want us to look at how Jesus calls his disciples because it's really crazy. If you have your Bible, turn back to Mark 1. And so here we have Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, roughly around the age of 30 years old, which ironically is way too young to even be a rabbi. But here he goes. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Look what it says. As he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. The first thing I want us to notice here is that Jesus is not going after the best of the best of the best. He's going after the fishermen. He's going after the students, the teenagers, who didn't make the cut. They didn't make the cut because we see that they're fishermen. They're doing their father's trade. And what does he say? He says, come follow me and I will make you 
a fisher of men. What the heck is a fisher of men? We understand that concept a little bit about how Jesus wants to send us out and be sharing the gospel with people. But do these guys have any idea what Jesus is talking about? Maybe, maybe not. But what I want us to notice is that Jesus is giving these guys an invitation to stand up off of their stool. And it's not a command. Jesus is not twisting these guys' arms and beating them into the ground saying, follow me or kill you because I'm Jesus. Right? Jesus is saying, I am simply giving an invitation for you to come follow me, for you to stand up off of your stool and come. Let's keep going. Verse 18, once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19, when they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Once again, Jesus looks at the people who aren't perfect, who don't have it all nailed down, who didn't make the cut from society. Anybody here answer this in your own heart? Ever feel like you never made the cut? Man, there's lots about me that I feel like I never made the cut. Verse 20, without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. You see, Jesus says, if you want to know what your mission is, if you want to know what you're supposed to be doing, and if you want an opportunity to step up and see what I have for you, my invitation stands And it's an invitation for you to see my world and for you to step out and step off of your stool, step off of the seat that you're sitting on and follow me. And I will give you a mission and a purpose and a passion. That's what I've been thinking about. And I think that a lot of you here want to think about that. And I think that a lot of you here, you want to think about, well, how do I even step off maybe the seat that I've been sitting on? I think some of you might have your mission already defined, but there's a lot of you maybe here today who are thinking about, what does my world even look like? And so I just want to ask you a whole bunch of questions about that because that's how I started with this. I started asking a whole bunch of questions. The first question is this. What does your communication with God look like? What does your communication with God look like? And I want us to notice that I didn't just put prayer on there. Because us communicating with God is not through just our prayer. Certainly part of that is a big part about about that, but think about it. God speaks to us in so many different capacities that I think sometimes we don't even notice. Whether that's through another person, or a song, or a book, or the fact that we get to live in one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. And when we step outside, we get to see the mountains, and all it should do to us is shout, Jesus. And so what I don't want to do today is I don't want to tell you that you need to be talking to God. What I want to do today is I want to share with you a story about what happens when we push God out and what happens when we let him in. And so it starts with a little boy that seems to be a theme of mine the last couple weeks, talking about little boys. I talked about it last week. But it starts with this story of a little boy. And we really don't know much about his life. But we know a couple things. We know at some point inside of his world, he was exposed to religion. He was exposed to what the church was. He was exposed to people who lived and breathed and walked what they saw as who God was. But what he saw, he didn't like. 
because all he saw was rules and tradition and maybe legalism. And as he got older and older and older and he heard the claims of God, he started to push those away. And he says, God, I don't want you to be part of my life because maybe I'm not seeing the good that you say that you are or I'm not believing the claims that you say that you are or how can I trust you when there are all of these things happening inside of our world that are destructive and that are hurtful and that are bitter And so as he got older and older and older, he started pushing God away. And you know where he ends up? When he becomes a man, he becomes the chief persecutor of the church. You know who we're talking about? Some of you just got it. We're talking about the apostle Paul. Maybe one of the greatest apostles of all time because for his First part of his life, he says, God, I don't want any part of you. And it leaves him at the exact opposite end of where he wants his life to be. It leaves him separated, and it leaves him on the other end of the chasm for who God is. And then one day he realizes that maybe the question that he has been asking is, God, where are you, is the wrong question. And I think it's a lot of times a question that we ask all the time. And it's not a question of, God, where are you? But maybe it's a question of, God, how come I haven't been seeking you? Turn in your Bible over to Acts 9, and we see this with Paul. And I want to start in verse 10, because we see for the first time that there is something about Paul and how he wants to talk and communicate with God that has changed from how he used to live. And this is what it says in verse 10 of chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I wonder if there's a windy street. And ask for a name, man named Tarsus, named Saul, for he is what? Is praying. Go down to verse 17. Look what happens when Paul says, God, would you be a part of my life? Would you come and talk to me and speak to me? And I want to seek you. What happens? Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you again, what does your communication with God look like? Maybe you can relate with where Saul was in the beginning of his life. Maybe there's parts of you that's like, God, I don't really believe you, and all I see with this whole Christianity thing is maybe legalism or religion. Well, tell me, let me tell you what, that's not what it's about. It's about us meeting Jesus and coming before him and saying, would you simply come talk to me? Here's one of the things that I notice inside of our culture, and it's really crazy and different. I don't know why we do it, but we do it all the time. When I remember growing up and when I look at families all around and when I go visit people, it seems to me that one of the very first times that their families think about talking to God is at what time of the day? 5.30 p.m. when it's time for dinner. And you sit down and you say the family prayer and then you start eating and then about halfway through your meal, we start doing things like, man, my day didn't go so well and I wondered what God was up to today. 
And I wondered why he wasn't maybe watching out for us or why he wasn't taking us through the situation that we have or why he wasn't helping us out when maybe all along he was there and he just wants you to start thinking about him when you get out of bed, not when you go to bed. This has been a really big thing for me to learn. I wasn't very good at this. My first year of college, I was known for something. And let me share with you what that was. I am not a morning person. Do we have any like non-morning people in here? Yes. I love you. I will send you a Christmas card. I'm not a morning person, but I always had 8 a.m. class. And so I would get up every morning in the dorm at like 7.57. I'd run down to the class and I would get there. And on my way down, it never failed that somebody always used to say to me, good morning, Caleb. And you know what my response was? My response was, no, it's not. Brutal. Brutal. Because what I was saying was not only... No, I'm not glad that I'm here. Or no, I don't want to be out of bed. But you know what, God? I'm not very happy with how I'm living right now. And I was pushing God out and I was pushing him away because I wasn't letting him into my life by talking to him, by letting him be a part of who I am. So I have this new thing that I try to do. Happens almost every morning, not every day, but I get up and inside of my own room or wherever I am, I simply say the words, good morning, Lord. Sometimes I sing it in the shower. Weird. Right? But I do it because I want my day to begin seeking God, not end with seeking God. Let me ask you again. What does your communication look like? As you think about what your mission is, I want to ask you a couple more questions. What is important to you? Like, what is important to you? Is it your family? Is it your spouse or your kids? Is it school? Trying to figure out, you know, are you, are you going to go to college or are you in high school and what does that look like? Or you're in middle school and what does that look like? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe for you something that's important is that you just want to be speaking truth to people or honesty or integrity, all kinds of things. I made a list this week of what was important to me. I limited it to 25 things because I realized if I didn't, it would be like four pages long. And then I sat down and I looked at that list and I started underlining some things and circling some things. And I think if you followed me and you looked at my list, that you would see that there were actually things in my life that I wrote down as important that played out inside of my life and inside of my heart every single day. But then I looked at my list and I had some things circled on there because I realized that maybe those things were only important inside of my heart or my head, but they actually weren't a part of my life. Let me share with you one of those. The number three thing that I wrote on my list was my family's souls. Because I have so many people inside of my family, both immediate and extended, who have no idea who Jesus is. And they have run from him, and they have left him, and they have turned away from him. But the reason that I circled it is because I cannot remember the last time I talked to those people about Jesus. If that's important to me, it better be a part of my life. And I'm working on that. I'm starting to brainstorm through ways of, if this is what's important to me, how does this become part of my mission? What is important to you? And how does that play into your world, into your life? And so maybe you make a list and then you give it to somebody. And you say, hey, would you evaluate these? Would you look at these in my life and do you see them? 
Or are they just things that I'm putting down so that I feel good about what I'm doing? The next thing I want us to, to ask the question about is this one, is what are you passionate about? I'm not, I'm not talking about the things that, like, what are you interested in and what do you really like? I'm talking about what are you passionate about? What stirs your bubble and gets you going and makes it so that you don't ever want to go to bed or you don't ever want to leave where you're at or you just want to freak out? I don't know, right? For me, it's teenagers. Like, I see a teenager, I hear the word teenager, and I just transform on the inside into this little kid who has all of this energy and just wants to go out and be with them every waking moment and do all the dumb things that you're not supposed to do. That's what I get excited about. That's what I get passionate about. I have some friends in Billings who are like that about the office. Right? Some of you have seen it. Weird! Right? They're always talking about it. They're always making jokes about it. You know, on Facebook, on that little status bar, they're putting, like, quotes about it. And I, and I say, what is that about? And it's because they love it. They are just juiced about the whole thing. And I was like, okay, so what are you going to do with it? And they're like, oh, we already are. And I was like, oh, weird again, right? And I said, okay, well, tell me what you're doing about that. And they said, okay, well, well a couple of us, we love the office so much, much and we're so passionate about what's going on inside of it that we decided that we're going to have an office night once a week over at our house. And we're going to do our best to invite a ton of people who don't know Jesus but love the office to come to our house. And we're going to sit down and we're going to watch the office and then we're going to invite people to stay after the office. And we're going to look at the office and we're going to say, what can we take from that that has to do with following God? And I looked at them and I was like, that is never going to work ever, right? I was like, people are not going to come to your house and they're not going to watch The Office and talk about Jesus. Office Jesus. No. You know how many people they had to their house last week? 45? What is that? You know how many episodes of The Office they watched? One. You know how long they stayed till 3 a.m.? Weird. But they sat down, and they said, what am I passionate about, and how can I use that for God's kingdom? How does that play into my mission, into my role, into my life purpose? Let me ask you again, what are you passionate about? Maybe it's teens, maybe it's kids, maybe it's college students, maybe it's that people are financially secure in an unfinancially secure world. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's construction. Maybe it's something that nobody knows about except you. Get it in your head and get it in your heart and then let it come out of you and don't worry about what people think about you. Worry about the fact that you are following Jesus. I want us to ask one more question. What are you skilled at? This might overflow into passion. This might overflow into something that's important to you, but look at it. What are you skilled at? What are you so good at that you just kind of sit there and smile? Right? I love music. I am not a very good musician. I know that. So what I started thinking about is, okay, Caleb, what am I good at? And how can I use that then for God's kingdom? So maybe you're good at construction. Maybe you're... You are passionate about people becoming financially secure and you also happen to have an MBA. 
Maybe you are a good musician. Maybe you're a good artist. Maybe you're simply really good at just organization and so you can put these chairs in a straight line. Heaven is no, I can't do that. But then here is the bigger question of all. When we look at all of these things inside of our life is what is important to me? And what am I passionate about? And what am I skilled at? Then here comes the bigger question. How can I use all of those things to serve God's kingdom and God's mission? Because when we do that, that is the very same invitation that Jesus was giving to the disciples. Come and follow me with who you are and what you have. That is the invitation that God gives to us. He says, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be right on. All you have to do is stand up off of the little stool that you've been sitting on. I want to close with my story. Because, oh, that's fun. Sorry about that. See, that's what I'm good at is the tech end of stuff. I'm generally up there and setting up things, so I notice all that. But I want to close with my story. Because at 23 years old, there's a lot of students and people who look around and, and they look at me and they're like, Caleb, you seem to know what your mission is. And you seem to know what your passion is and, and what you want to be doing. And that's true. I know a lot of those things. And I've processed through a lot of those things. Now, I'm not perfect by any means. But I, but I do have a path on where I want to be going. And so I just want to share with you, well, how did I even come to this point? And so I remember growing up as a little kid that I grew up in a quote-unquote Christian home to where my, my parents always claimed Jesus and we talked about God on occasion, but we never really attended church or youth group or anything like that. And so it was always kind of this, this out there thing for me, right? And then occasionally when we did attend church, I hated it because we sat in these old like 1,800 pews, right? Like that are like 200 years old and they were hard and smelly and stinky and I somehow always got slivers. I don't know how that happened. Probably meant I wasn't paying attention. But then when I was paying attention, I said, well, why do we sing these songs that we don't even know what these words mean to us? And then why don't we listen to this guy in this robe with this weird hat come up and talk about the same thing every week that really has no impact on how we live because it never changes anything inside of our family? That was my view of church. So, so then my view of God was pretty negative. Because if the church was supposed to be the primary conduit of who God was, God, to me, was this very out-there thing. I don't even know if I would call him a person. It was probably more of a concept to me than anything. And so, for me, as I began to grow up, I began to, to push God away. And say, God, I, I really don't want any part of you because you really don't change anything. There's nothing that you have for me that could change what my life looks like. And so, the older I got... I started putting all of my eggs in the me basket, right? Saying, well, if this world is not about God, which some people say it is, then it must be about me because it couldn't be about anybody else. And so I began thinking about my life and everything turned inward. And really, it, it played its way out in two different areas in my life because I started looking at my life and all of these things around and my family started going through a, a lot of hard times. My sisters had a lot of problems all of these fights and arguments were breaking out between my parents that, that led to a divorce, and we had huge financial issues and through bankruptcy and all of this stuff. And I said, well, family's not it, right? Family's not what life is about, so it must be about me. And so it played, my, it played out in two areas. That was sports and academics. 
right? And I said, as I was going into high school, well, life must be about one of these. And so when I get out of high school, I either got to be a football player, which I realized wasn't going to happen because I'm 5'5", or I got to be smart enough to get a job and make lots of money. That was how it worked for me. And all through this whole time, I've been shaking my fist in the air, saying, God, if you claim to be here, where are you through all of this? And what I realized one night is that God was never absent from my life. But what I learned is that I had never been seeking God in my life. Because one night I was sitting down and I was reading. This is really weird. Even though I didn't like church and I didn't like who God was, I always used to be really fascinated with this guy called Frank Peretti. Some of you might know him. He writes all this crazy fiction, like spiritual warfare stuff. It's strange. But, but I love reading it, and I was fascinated with it. And so at the end of my senior year, I was reading this book called The Prophet. And it was, and it was late one night. It's like 1 or 2 a.m. that I'm up, and I'm still reading this thing. And about halfway through the book, I read this line inside of this book. And it says, where am I going, and where are you taking me? And it was like, Poof. Because all of a sudden, I realized where I was going was not where God wanted to take me. And it was not where God wanted to take me because of all my life. I said, God, you are not real and you are not part of my life and you have nothing for me. And so I sat there and in 10 pages, they say that line 36 times. Think they had a point on what they wanted to talk about? I think so. And so I'm just sitting in my bed and I'm rolling through all of these thoughts. Well, maybe I've been pushing God out and so maybe my life needs to change direction. And so I go from this kid who has not ever really wanted to follow Jesus wholeheartedly to start thinking about maybe I should go into ministry. Well, that's a little dramatic, right? And so I, for some reason, had just started going to youth group right through this time. And so I called this guy named Lance who is my youth pastor and he had said, you can call anytime you want to. Right? I made him earn that. It's 3 a.m. I call him and I was like, hey, can we talk? And he's like, sure. Do you want to come over tomorrow? And I was like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Right? I go to his house. He's, he and his wife get up and their kids are screaming. And they're all over the place. We drink like 1,800 ounces of coffee and we sit down and we have this conversation of what does my life look like? And I started dumping out all this stuff. Maybe I'm supposed to be doing ministry. Maybe I really haven't been following God. Maybe the mission of me trying to be selfish and prideful is not working. And so we started talking about, well, what would I need to do for that to change? And who might I need to talk to? Where might I need to go to school? Granted, this is when I'm already a senior and I'm supposed to be going to school somewhere else. And we get to the end of that conversation. And I remember one thing that he told me. And it will never leave my life. And he says this. He says, Caleb, if you think that you have been running from God, and if you think that maybe the mission that God has for you is to do this ministry thing, then you will never find out what it is until you stand up off of your stool. That is what I learned. And so I said, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. And it's led me all over the place. It's led me to to go to a Bible college, which I had never dreamed of. And ultimately, it's led me to being here before you today to share my story. 
And the more that I've been thinking about mission and what my mission is, I've been looking out at the world, and we see it inside of the world all the time, what the mission of the world is. Think about it. Nike, you know the slogan, right? Just do it. Gatorade, quench your thirst. Chevy, like a rock. Ford, found on roadside dead. I can say that because I drive a Ford. Right? In all of these things, State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The clothing brand, life is good. Do what you like, like what you do. Ironically, Journey Church, reaching people who are far from God and growing them up in Christ. Christ followers, we need to have a mission. Here is my mission. And I wrote this a couple years ago trying to guide my life so that when I get to the end of it, I look back and I say, I have worshipped God and I have followed God with everything that I am. My mission says this, is to surrender all that I am before the feet of Jesus because for so long I wasn't. To live humbly because I was prideful. To love mercilessly because there was so much lack of love inside of my family. And to dedicate my life to living and sharing the gospel because I had realized how much impact that youth pastor had in my life in a matter of weeks. My challenge for you is that as we start into fall, and summer has come to an end, and a lot of us are going back to jobs and schools and routine is to not just slip into a world of routine to where you're just doing, but you don't know why. And so I would challenge you to go home and maybe as a family or individually or with your spouse or with your kids, whoever that you need to do that is, sit down and make some lists and say, what is important to us? And what is it that we are passionate about or that I am passionate about? And then what is it that I am skilled at? And write those things down and then ask that question. How can I use all of those things to serve God's mission so that he then can give me mission and we can worship? That's my challenge to you is to seek God with everything that you have and to surrender all of it at the feet of Jesus. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord God, we love you. And God, we know that you are the giver of the mission. And we receive our mission when we choose that invitation to follow you and to step off our stool and to step off maybe what we've been sitting on for so long, maybe because we're scared or we have doubt or we have worry. And so if you're here tonight, and maybe you realize like your mission is not very defined, or, or you know that you've just been sitting on the stool, would you just take some time to, to talk to God about that? And ask him to, to maybe help you step off the stool? Or maybe help you identify some things in your life that are important to you? Or that you're passionate about? You can do that right now. Just talk to God where you are. And then maybe there's some of you out here today who are, maybe you were like me, or maybe you were like Paul, and, and this whole God thing has been outside of your world. You see, and God, God can't give us a mission until we seek him. 
maybe you realize that for your whole life you've never really invited God in. And so if that's you, and if you want God to be a part of you, and if you want him to change you, and to fill you up inside of whatever it is that you live inside of, you can ask him to do that for you. And it starts by a relationship with him, and by inviting him to be your God. And so if that's you, you can pray to him, and you can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I have pushed you away. But God, I am inviting you back today. And would you come in and would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for pushing you away? Would you forgive me for the things that I've screwed up on? Would you forgive me for my sin? And then God, would you fill me? And would you take over the steering wheel of my life and drive me down the road? And give me a mission and a purpose and a passion? God, today, right now, I'm inviting you to be my boss and my savior and my Lord. And with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, that is the biggest decision anybody will ever make because it changes the entire trajectory of where your life is. It's the start of you standing up from your stool. And so because around Journey, we want to encourage you and we want to love you inside of that. Nobody's going to embarrass you, but if you just made that, would you just slip your hand up and make eye contact with me so I can just see that and encourage you? Yeah, I see you right there. See, God's making you new, and he's sending you out on a new trajectory. Way to go. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Yeah, I see you right here, buddy. Good job. Yeah, and right here. God's making you guys new. And he's sending you out and lifting you up. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. God, would you challenge us that when we leave this room today to go out as people with a purpose. It's in your name we pray. Amen.